0: Section 2 of The Char Woman's Daughter by James Stevens chapters 3 and 4 This LibriVox recording is in the public domain read by Michelle Fry Baton Rouge Louisiana chapter 3 Mary make believes mother spoke sometimes of matrimony as a thing remote but very certain the remoteness of this adventure rather shocked mary make-believe she knew that a girl had to get married that a strange beautiful man would come from somewhere looking for a wife and would retire again with his bride to that somewhere which is the country of romance at times and she could easily picture it he rode in armor on a great bay horse the plume of his helmet trailing among the high leaves of the forest or he came standing on the prow of a swift ship with the sunlight blazing back from his golden armor or on a grassy plain fleet as the wind he came running leaping laughing when the subject of matrimony was under discussion her mother planned minutely the person of the groom his vast accomplishments and yet vaster wealth the magnificence of his person and the love in which he was held by rich and poor alike She also discussed, down to the smallest detail, the elaborate trousseau she would provide for her daughter, the extravagant presents the bridegroom would make to his bride and her maids, and those yet more costly which the bridegroom's family would send to the newly married pair. All these wonders could only concentrate in the person of a lord. Mary make-believe's questions as to the status and appurtenances of a lord were searching and minute. Her mother's rejoinders were equally elaborate and particular at his birth the lord is cradled in silver at his death he is laid in a golden casket an oaken coffin and a leaden outer coffin until finally a massy stone sarcophagus shrouds his remains for ever his life is a whirl of gaiety and freedom around his castle there spread miles upon miles of sunny grasslands and ripened orchards and waving forests and through these he hunts with his laughing companions or walks gently with his lady he has servants by the thousand each anxious to die for him and his wealth prodigious beyond the computation of avarice is stored in underground chambers whose low tortuous passages lead to labyrinths of vaults massy and impregnable "'Mary, make-believe, would have loved to wed a lord. "'If a lord had come to her when she paced softly through a forest, "'or stood alone on the seashore, "'or crouched among the long grass of a windy plain, "'she would have placed her hands in his, "'and followed him, and loved him truly forever. "'But she did not believe that these things happened nowadays, "'nor did her mother. "'Nowadays?' Her mother looked on these paltry times with an eye whose scorn was complicated by fury. "'Mean, ugly days, mean, ugly lives, and mean, ugly people,' said her mother. "'That's all one can get nowadays.' and then she spoke of the people whose houses she washed out and whose staircases she scrubbed down and her old ivory face flamed from her black hair and her deep dark eyes whirled and became hard and motionless as points of jet and her hands jumped alternately into knuckles and claws. But it became increasingly evident to Mary make-believe that marriage was not a story but a fact— and somehow the romance of it did not drift away although the very house where she lived was infested by these conjoints and the streets wherein she walked were crowded with undistinguished couples those gray-lived dreary-natured people had a spark of fire smoldering somewhere in their poor economy Six feet deep is scarcely deep enough to bury romance, and until that depth of clay has clogged our bones, the fire can still smoulder and be fanned, and perhaps blaze up and flare across a county or a country to warm the cold hands of many a shriveled person. How did all these people come together? She did not understand the basic necessity that drives the male to the female sex was not yet to her a physiological distinction it was only a differentiation of clothing a matter of whiskers and no whiskers but she had begun to take a new and peculiar interest in men one of these hurrying or loitering strangers might be the husband whom fate had ordained for her she would scarcely have been surprised if one of the men who looked at her casually in the street had suddenly halted and asked her to marry him It came on her with something like assurance that that was the only business these men were there for. She could not discover any other reason or excuse for their existence, and if some men had been thus adventurous, Mary make-believe would have been sadly perplexed to find an answer. She might indeed have replied, "'Yes, thank you, sir, for when a man asks one to do a thing for him, one does it gladly.' there was an attraction about young men which she could not understand something peculiarly dear and magnetic she would have liked to shake hands with one to see how different he felt from a girl they would probably shake hands quite hard and then hit one she fancied she would not mind being hit by a man and then watching the vigor of their movements she thought they could hit very hard But still, there was a terrible attraction about the idea of being hit by a man. She asked her mother, with apparent irrelevance, had a man ever struck her? Her mother was silent for a few moments, and then burst into so violent a passion of weeping that Mary make-believe was frightened. She rushed into her mother's arms, and was rocked fiercely against a heart almost bursting with bitter pride and recollection." BUT HER MOTHER DID NOT THEN, NOR DID SHE EVER AFTERWARDS, ANSWER MARY MAKE BELIEVE'S QUESTION. CHAPTER FOUR EVERY AFTERNOON A TROOP OF POLICEMEN MARCHED IN solemn AND MAJESTIC SINGLE FILE FROM THE COLLEGE GREEN POLICE STATION. AT REGULAR INTERVALS, ONE BY ONE, A POLICEMAN STEPPED SIDEWAYS FROM THE FILE, ADJUSTED HIS BELT, touched his moustache looked up the street and down the street for stray criminals and condescended to the duties of his beat at the crossing where nassau and suffolk streets intersect grafton street one of these superb creatures was wont to relinquish his companions and there in the centre of the road a monument of solidity and law he remained until the evening hour which released him again to the companionship of his peers perhaps this point is the most interesting place in dublin upon one vista grafton street with its glittering shops stretches or rather winds to the saint stephen's green park terminating at the gate known as the Fusiliers' arch but which local patriotism has rechristened the traitor's gate on the left nassau street broad and clean and a trifle vulgar and bourgeois in its openness runs away to marianne square and on with a broad ease to Blackrock and Kingstown and the sea. On the right hand, Suffolk Street, reserved and shy, twists up to St. Andrew's Church, touches gingerly the South City markets, droops to George's Street, and is lost in mean and dingy intersections. At the back of the crossing, Grafton Street continues again for a little distance down to Trinity College. At the gates whereof very intelligent young men flaunt very tattered gowns and smoke massive pipes with great skill for their years, skirting the bank of Ireland, and on the river Liffey and the street which local patriotism defiantly speaks of as O'Connell Street, and alien patriotism with equal defiance and pertinacity, knows as Sackville Street. To the point where these places meet, and where the policeman stands, all the traffic of Dublin converges in a constant stream. The trams hurrying to Terenure or Donnybrook, or Docky flash around this corner, the doctors who in these degenerate days concentrate in Marion Square, fly up here in carriages and motor-cars, the vans of the great firms in Grafton and O'Connell Streets, or those outlying, never cease their exuberant progress the ladies and gentlemen of leisure stroll here daily at four o'clock and from all sides the vehicles and pedestrians the bicycles and motor bicycles the trams and the outside cars rush to the solitary policeman who directs them all with his severe but tolerant eye he knows all the tram drivers who go by, and his nicely graduated wink rewards the glances of the rubicund, at jolly drivers of the hackneys, and the decayed Jehu's with purple faces and dismal hopefulness, who drive sepulchre cabs for some reason which has no acquaintance with profit. Nor are the ladies and gentlemen who saunter past foreign to his encyclopedic eye. Constantly his great head swings a slow recognition, constantly his serene finger motions onward a well-known undesirable, and his big white teeth flash for an instant at young laughing girls and the more matronly acquaintances who solicit the distinction of his glance. To this place and about this hour Mary make-believe, returning from her solitary lunch, was wont to come. THE FIGURE OF THE MASSIVE POLICEMAN FASCINATED HER. SURELY EVERYTHING DESIRABLE IN MANHOOD WAS CONCENTRATED IN HIS TREMENDOUS BODY. WHAT AN IMMENSE, SHATTERING BLOW THAT MIGHTY FIST COULD GIVE. SHE COULD IMAGINE IT'S SWINGING VAST AS THE BUFFET OF A HERO, HIGH THROWN AND THEN DOWN irresistibly A CRASHING, MONUMENTAL HAND, she delighted in his great solid head as it swung slowly from side to side and his calm proud eye a governing compelling and determined eye she had never met his glance yet she withered away before it as a mouse withers and shrinks and falls to its den before a cat's huge glare she used to look at him from the curbstone in front of the chemist's shop or on the opposite side of the road while pretending to wait for a tram and at the pillar-box beside the opticians she found time for one furtive twinkle of a glance that shivered to his face and trembled away into the traffic she did not think he noticed her but uh, there was nothing he did not notice his business was noticing he caught her in his mental policeman's notebook. The very first day she came, he saw her each day beside and, at last, looked for her coming and enjoyed her strategy. One day her shy, creeping glance was caught by his. It held her mesmerized for a few seconds. It looked down into her. For a moment the whole world seemed to have become one immense eye. She could scarcely get away from it. When she remembered again, she was standing by the pond in the St. Stephen's Green Park with a queer, frightened exultation, lightening through her blood. She did not go home that night by Grafton Street. She did not dare venture within reach of that powerful organism, but went the long way around, and still the way seemed very short. That night her mother, although very tired, was the more talkative of the two. She offered in exchange for her daughter's thoughts, pennies that only existed in her imagination. Mary make-believe professed that it was sleep and not thought obsessed her, and exhibited voucher yawns which were as fictitious as her reply. When they went to bed that night, it was a long time before she slept. She lay looking into the deep gloom of the chamber, and scarcely heard the fierce dreams of her mother, who was demanding from a sleep world the things she lacked in the wide awake one End of section two